Hey, if you brought a Bible, please open it up to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you didn't bring a Bible, please grab one from under a seat close by in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, take that one home with you after the service. You know, it's, uh, it's kind of crazy when you think about what the world tries to do in in opposition to something that it that it that it fights against that it stands against. You know, I can't I can't help but think, you know, even today, this day that 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 we as believers hold so so sacred that the world would try to cheapen in such a way that they make it all about a bunny rabbit who lays hard-boiled eggs <laughs> that are colored and hands out candy. And that they try to say that, you know, it's just kind of this little thing that we do, just have a little fun today, and that tomorrow everything goes back to normal. I'm here to tell you that what today signifies, it's the most important event in all of history, and that depending on what you do with today, tomorrow can't possibly be the same. Nothing goes back to normal. Our, our lives, our eternity, our destiny is changed based on what we do with the significance and the truth of what we celebrate today. As, as Christians, there are certain days that we, that we mark, that we look to, that we, that we hold in, in high esteem. Certainly Christmas, when we celebrate the fact that, that our God, our creator, chose to take on human flesh, to become one of us, to be born in the simplest of ways. And, and we, we're, we're, we marvel at that, that he would choose to, to become one of us, that he would choose to, to live a life among us, that he would choose to expose himself to, to everything that you and I expose, are exposed to. So that there's nothing that we experience that he can't say, been there, done that, I understand, yet without sin. And the other night, two nights ago on Friday night, we, we remember the fact that he suffered and died in our place on the cross, that he bled his perfect blood into the ground to pay the sin debt that you and I owe. But please hear me and understand this truth, that if today, what we celebrate today did not happen, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, his birth and his death are no different than any other birth and any other death. You see, when Jesus suffered and died on the cross, he hung there and he said it's finished. He paid in full what he came to do, but the resurrection proves that what he paid for us was accepted by the Father. That is how, that's why this day is so significant. As a matter of fact, the reason I have us turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is because beginning in verse 14, Paul starts to speak of the ramifications for you and I as Christians if Jesus did not rise from the dead. And he says this, beginning in verse 14, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain, your faith also is vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. 
The ramifications, uh, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, are, are severe. Notice again, back to verse 14. First of all, he speaks of the gospel message, what is proclaimed, the preaching, the bringing of this good news. He said that's in vain, that's empty. It's absolutely worthless if Jesus did not rise from the dead. He, as a matter of fact, says in the verse 15 that, that if Jesus did not literally, physically, bodily rise from the dead, he said, I'm a false witness. Anyone who proclaims the gospel is, is a false witness. It is false teaching. We are misrepresenting God. We are saying that God did something that he did not do if Jesus did not rise from the dead. And this is a very important issue because there are many, many within the so-called church today, pastors, churches, people embracing a, a teaching that says that Jesus did not physically, literally, bodily rise from the dead. And that's, that's, that's heresy. That's what Paul is saying here. You can't have it, one, you can't have it both ways. It's either one or the other. And Paul says, if it didn't happen, we're false teachers. Our teaching, our preaching is empty and, and, and worthless. But notice it says in verse 14, not only that, your faith is worthless. Faith is only as valuable as the object we place our faith in. There's, again, a lot of people talking about today that it, you know, it doesn't really matter what you believe in. As long as your faith is sincere, you're okay. That's really crazy, isn't it? I mean, if I sincerely believe that I can fly and I jump off a building, that, that's not going to go well for me, <laughs> even though I sincerely believe it. The faith is no greater than the object with which we place our faith in. And what Paul is saying is if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we're placing our faith in a dead man. And that can't save us. That can't, that, that faith is worthless. And he says in verse 17, we are still in our sins. We are still in our unrighteousness. And the Bible tells us in, Rome, in the book of Romans that the wrath of God will be poured out on all unrighteousness and ungodliness of man. Every single sin poured out on us. And Paul is saying that, yes, the, if the crucifixion takes place, the payment made, if it's not accepted on our behalf, we're still in our sins. We are still in that unrighteous state where we will face the wrath of God forever. Paul writes this in Romans chapter 4. He was delivered over because of our transgressions. He, he went to the cross. He suffered and died because of our sin. But notice what he says next. And was raised because of our justification. Justification is a, a word we, we say, this is how you remember it. Justification means just as if I'd never sinned. It doesn't mean that the sin never took place. It means that Jesus took the sin upon himself. And justification means declared righteous. Not our own righteousness, but Christ's righteousness on our account. And that is proven through the resurrection. Without the resurrection, we still stand guilty and condemned in our own sins. In verse 18, he speaks of those who have died, that fallen asleep. Their means to die, believing in Jesus, believing in his resurrection, believing in that. If it doesn't take place, notice it says that they perish. They have perished. That doesn't simply mean their physical death. That would be being repetitious. No, he's speaking of the spiritual, eternal death that all face outside of Christ. Spiritual death facing the wrath of God forever in hell, paying the penalty for our sin. 
If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, he said, all those who have died have perished. The Bible tells us that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every living human being. We've all sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. The glory of God is the standard of measure and the only one that matters. It doesn't matter if we try to compare ourselves with one another. It doesn't matter that, okay, I'm better than them or I haven't done that or I've done this type of good in my life even though I've done it. That, none of that matters. The glory of God is the standard. And that standard, the glory of God is perfection, sinlessness, righteousness. And it tells us also in the book of Romans that anything that we would do on our own behalf, the, the works of, that we might try to do according to the law, no one can be declared righteous by those acts. I liken it to trying to say that, that in order for us to be saved, we're gonna, we have to jump across the Grand Canyon. And so we can get as long a running start as we want to. We can work out and exercise as much as we want, but we have to run and jump and take off and land on the other side. And let me ask you, does it matter at all that I jumped one foot farther than you? No, we both end up at the bottom. <laughs> the glory of God, that is the standard. Righteousness is the standard. The only one righteous is Jesus. The only way that we can make it is in Jesus. And that's what Paul tells us in, in again, the book of Romans chapter 6. It says, the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. But understand, without the resurrection, there is no but in Romans 6. The wages of sin is death, period. Without the resurrection, you and I are still in our sins. Without the resurrection, he says, we of all men in all the world deserve the most pity. Because we've placed our faith in something that can't save us. Praise the Lord for verse 20. But now Christ has been raised from the dead. <laughs> I, I liken that. Amen. I liken that to like spending 10 minutes explaining to what would happen to us if all of a sudden there was no oxygen on the earth. And then say, but there is oxygen on the earth. So... It's outlined for us there to, de to describe to us and explain to us the necessity of the resurrection. But he's, he comes back to it and says, but praise God, praise God, Jesus did raise from the dead. It does require faith. We're going to talk about faith this morning. It does require faith, but here, please hear me. It's not a blind faith. So many that are, that are outside of the church, So many, perhaps even you today, you came today because somebody invited you, you came today just because you're curious, you got somebody handed you a card and invited you to come, and you're skeptical, you're, you question this, you think you know, Christians are just a bunch of people blindly following some teaching. That's what the world thinks as, as about us as Christians. Let me tell you, it's not a blind faith. And let's, let's look at some of the evidence of the resurrection, and let's just kind of maybe put it to trial here this morning, if we would. First of all, let's talk about the conviction of Paul, the one writing this letter. Because there's no argument. I don't care where you stand in the whole spectrum. You might be the biggest atheist out there. You can't argue that the most influential man in the history of the world is Jesus. He's changed more people's lives. He's been more influential. He's most read about, most talked about man in all of history. You can't argue that. 
Paul is saying in what we just read, you want to you destroy this faith that all of these people have? There's one thing you can do, and it's all over. Done, we all go home, game over. Produce the body. Produce the body. That's all you have to do. And tell me that on that Monday, after the Sunday, when the tomb was empty, and probably starting immediately Sunday morning, once they found the tomb was empty, everybody that was against Jesus and all of the Romans and all of them, they're looking for the body. Nobody came up with it. Because Jesus is alive. He rose again. They were looking in the wrong places. They were, they were, looking, in, they were looking in graves. They were looking in tombs. All they had to do was look. He was walking around. He was... <laughs> They couldn't prove it. They couldn't, they couldn't provide a body. So what did they do? They tried, to, they tried to come up with some excuses. They tried to come up some way to explain it away. And the one that, that stuck for a little while, that's even still used today to try to defend it, try to explain it away, was the one that the religious leaders came up with before they put Jesus to death, by the way. Because Jesus said, I'm going to rise again on the third day. They heard it. They knew that that was the thing. So they said, he, t- he said he was going to do this. So they went to the Roman leaders and they said, place a guard at the tomb. They, they come up with this idea that, oh, well, here, here's what happened. <laughs> he didn't rise from the dead. That, of course, that's crazy. The disciples stole the body. Let's take a look at that for a second, how crazy that idea is. Because they put this Roman cohort, the, at a minimum of four Roman soldiers were placed at the entrance of the tomb. That, had, by the way, had a, a stone rolled over it and a Roman seal put on it. Four Roman soldiers on four-hour shifts so that they would not or could not fall asleep. The most trained soldiers in all of the world, the Roman army, the most powerful army in the world at the time, four of their soldiers placed at the, at the, at the opening of the tomb. And by the way, these soldiers could care less about Jesus and the Jewish people and the issues that they had between them. Could care less. The only sacred thing to them at that tomb was the seal on it, the Roman seal. They know if that seal gets broken, their lives are, their lives are over. They're, they're guarding that tomb with their lives. And we're supposed to believe that, that 12 disciples, fishermen, tax collectors, totally untrained in any type of hand-to-hand combat, are going to overtake those four trained soldiers, roll the stone away, and steal Jesus' body. And that begs the question, why in the world would they do that? Here are, here are these men who follow Jesus, believing that he's the Messiah, believing that he's the promised one. And now he's dead in that tomb. If they're not placing their faith in the resurrection, which they're all doubting, they're all going through, and, and you and I, in this, it would be in the same way, in that same place, but if they said, this is, what we need to do is break in and, and, and steal the body, for what reason? They had to be feeling that, that everything was over. What are they going to gain by stealing the body? They can't be thinking, you know what? We steal the body. We start this whole big religion. We're going to be rich and famous. <laughs> That's not their discussion. As a matter of fact, every one of them, except John, will be executed because of their faith. Brutally executed. And the only reason John wasn't is because he survived their attempts. They tried to boil him in oil. They tried all of this kind of stuff. He just kept on outliving all their attempts to kill him. He was persecuted and all of them, not one of them recanted. 
Not one of them said, hey, you know, before you thrust me through with that spear or cut my head off, hang on, it's all a hoax. The body's right over here. Not one. The religious leaders set, the, set that whole thing up because, because, again, Jesus said that this was going to take place. He prophesied that this was how it was going to happen. And not just Jesus talking about this. Let's look back in our text and we can look at some other evidence that is for us. Back to verse 3 in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul begins his dialogue with the, the church in Corinth this way. He says, for I delivered to you as of first importance, the most important piece what I also received. And again, Paul received this directly from the risen Christ Jesus, that Christ died for our sins, note, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Notice he's calling into account here, he's calling to testify the actual scriptures, the holy scriptures. And what Paul is speaking of there, he's not talking about New Testament writings. He's talking about Old Testament writings. The New Testament was still being written. He's speaking of the Old Testament Jewish Hebrew scriptures. And he's pointing to those saying, all of this was prophesied ahead of time, that Jesus would come and he would suffer and he would die for our sins, he would be buried and he would rise again, all according to what the word of God has said, going way, way back to the beginning. Isaiah 53 is an example. Several hundred years before, before Jesus would come, it says this in verse 5 of Isaiah 53, he was pierced through for our transgressions because of our sins. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging, we are healed. Talk, this is why it took place, pointing to the coming Messiah, but also not just his death and why he died, but also his burial. Verse 9 of Isaiah 53 says, his grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death. Isaiah prophesying this fact that when crucified criminals, when they, were, when they had died, they'd take their bodies off the cross and they'd throw their bodies into the garbage heap on the outside of town and burn their bodies. They were all buried in mass graves. That's the way they dealt with the criminals. Not Jesus. His body was taken down and buried in the tomb of a rich man, Joseph of Arimathea, prophesied hundreds of years before it happened. His resurrection foretold in the scriptures, Isaiah 16, verse 10 says, You will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. David wrote that. But David, as it's pointed out, and we know, David died. His tomb is still in Israel. It's, it's there. His body underwent decay. He wasn't talking about himself. He was speaking of the coming Messiah, prophesying in that that the Messiah would suffer and die, but rise again. Jesus took it to the level of even talking about the three days when, it, when they, the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders challenged him and said, show us a sign. If you're the Messiah, show us. We want to see something. And he said, I will not show a sign to this wicked and adulterous generation except this one, the sign of Jonah. Just as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. Jesus calls his shot. <laughs> three days according to the scriptures. Then the evidence continues as Paul lays it out for us in verse 5. Now he's starting to call witnesses to the stand, if you would. That he appeared to Cephas, that is Peter, and then to the twelve. 
After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. He's calling again witnesses to the stand in this. And please understand that stepping up with this testimony, it's not an opportunistic thing. If anything, it could cost you your life. Because this is a time in the history of the church when persecution really started to be ramped up. Not just, be, not just from the Jewish people, but from the Romans as well. The Christians being persecuted. And he calls again to the witness. And first of all, he calls Peter and the disciples he calls to the, the witness stand, first of all, Peter, the one who denied Jesus when he was alive, the other disciples who ran away and abandoned him in the garden when he was still alive, now he's saying, call and talk to them, ask them, because he appeared to them risen again from the dead. Those cowards that ran away from him while he was alive now have this supernatural infilling of the Holy Spirit and the risen Lord Jesus, they've seen him, will boldly and, and gladly tell you that he's alive. And not only them, because we could say, well, we are, we're already still kind of debating whether they stole the body or not. 500 others. 500 others, he says, that, that saw the risen Lord Jesus. Go and talk to them. When Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, it's roughly about 23 years after Jesus' resurrection. So 23 years later, he says, some of them have died, but most of them are still alive. We're not talking about something 500 years later where he says, you know what? Go talk to some people whose lives have been changed by Jesus. No, he's saying, go talk to people who have physically saw Jesus risen from the dead. And there's a lot of them out there. Go talk to them. Now, some of you maybe know that, that one of my favorite pastimes, hobbies, is playing golf. I don't get to play golf as much as I used to just because of time and my right hip bothering me as much as it does anymore, but I love playing golf. But what if most of you probably don't know is that one time I was actually very, very good at it. As a matter of fact, 23 years ago, I won the U.S. Open. It's not only Resurrection Day. <laughs> I just I want to see if anybody really did believe that. <laughs> wouldn't, my point is, <laughs> it wouldn't be hard to disprove it. Some of you could jump on right now and Google and find out that Ernie Els actually won the U.S. Open 23 years ago. But even if not, you could just go around and talk. There's, there's, you wouldn't, it wouldn't be hard for you to find 500 people that would know the fact that there is no way. I've seen Brett golf. <laughs> there's no way. What Paul is saying is just go and talk to them. And again, the people that would say that have nothing to gain financially or anything else because it could very well cost them their lives standing out boldly for this, but they saw Jesus risen from the dead. Then he goes on to, and he says, James, the brother of Jesus. The Bible tells us that Jesus' brothers and sisters, when Jesus was alive and growing up, didn't believe in him. 
They didn't believe that he was the Messiah. It wasn't until Jesus appeared to James after he rose from the dead that James embraced who Jesus is and gave his life to follow him. And he was a leader in the early church. Eventually, he too martyred for his faith. We, it wasn't until then. And I love the fact that Paul says, call on him. Because if, let's just say, and maybe I don't want to embarrass anybody. So let's just assume that there are some of you out here that believe in Bigfoot. If you're going to try to convince me that Bigfoot exists, don't bring a lot of your friends who also believe in Bigfoot and say that, well, look at these fuzzy photos that we have and, and look at this cast. No, what you're going to need to do to convince me is find somebody like me who doesn't believe, who then saw something, who saw this or whatever and now believes. That's the one I want to talk to. I don't want to talk to you about all your friends who are going to be making this up. That's what Paul is saying. You don't believe? He didn't either until he saw Jesus risen from the dead. And then he calls himself to the stand. Paul, we know from history and from the Bible, Paul was a Pharisee. And he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was, he was in the upper echelon. He, was, he studied under Gamaliel, who was the top rabbi at the time. And he excelled. Paul, no doubt, was a driven man. We see that. And you can just see this young Jewish boy setting these goals for himself and exceeding those goals and climbing his way up. And he finally reaches this pinnacle. He's a Pharisee. He's well-respected. People are coming to him regularly. And with that, no doubt, came a lot of fame, possibly some fortune along with that. And then he made it his life's mission to wipe out this Christian sect who he believed was, was blaspheming Yahweh God. So he made it his life's mission to wipe them out until he met Jesus face to face and he saw the risen king. And Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? Paul became a believer and gave his life to Jesus. And it tells us all of that other stuff that he used to think was so important that he, was, he considered that a pile of garbage compared to following Jesus. He walked away from it all, faced persecution from, from his fellow Jews, thrown in prison, beaten, left for dead, and eventually would be martyred for his faith. Tell me that somebody's going to walk for, for, a, for a myth, for a hoax? No, there's only one explanation. You see, all of this evidence, when we put it all out there, the evidence demands that we come to this crossroads and we say, we have to do something with this. The evidence demands a verdict, if you would. And the evidence all laid out there says one thing. Jesus is who he says he is. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's God Almighty, the one who chose to, to leave his throne on heaven, to be, to be born a baby, to live among us, to live a perfect, sinless life, and then choose to offer that sinless life on the cross in exchange for you and I. He is who he says he is. And because he is who he says he is, and he did what he said he would do, guys, that means what he says it means. It means that you and I, if we place our faith and our trust in him and him alone, we can have our sins forgiven, totally wiped out. 
We exchange our sin for his righteousness. The Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The, the penalty of sin, the penalty that you and I deserve because of our sin, the wrath of God forever, he paid. The penalty of sin no longer applicable in our lives because he took it. The power of sin no longer over our lives because we have conquered that in him, in Christ, the risen king. He promised that though he left, he's coming back. He went to prepare a place for you and I. He's coming back and he's gonna take us with him so that we can be with him forever in a place where there will be no more suffering, no more pain. Verse 20 in our text speaks of him being the first fruits, his resurrected body. Guys, that promises you and I a resurrected body. Anybody ready for their new model? <laughs> No more pain, no more suffering, the new heaven and the new earth. All of these things are ours because Jesus died and rose again. The penalty paid and the penalty accepted. We call that salvation, being saved, being saved from the wrath of God that we deserve and receiving the grace of God that we don't deserve. And we're all saved the same way. There's not multiple ways to be saved. There is only one way to be saved. The Bible said that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will be saved. They will not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He spoke of this. He said, there, there is a wide road, a wide gate that leads to destruction, that leads to death. He says, many are on it. But there is a narrow gate, a narrow path that leads to life, and few find it. But it's there. It's in him. And it's available to anyone who will receive it. Paul writes in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Believe in your heart. Believe in your heart. That, again, it is faith. But as we've proven, it's not a blind faith. But believing in your heart is accepting in faith that God raised him from the dead. In that is the totality of what we've been talking about the necessity for a savior. The fact that Jesus suffered and died in our place. He exchanged his perfect life for our sin-filled life. But the resurrection, believing in the resurrection that God raised him from the dead says, I believe that my payment is, is paid in full. My debt is canceled. It's paid in full. Now, I want to speak for a moment to the skeptic, whoever is here maybe listening online, watching online, that is very skeptical. You're like, yeah, I, I hear all this evidence, but I can't be convinced unless I have 100% certainty. Guys, it is faith. But let me tell you, everything in life involves faith. There is nothing that you can be 100% certain of. The, the, 
We, we look at us all around us. You, you might say, you know, I have great plans for the rest of today. You can't be certain you're going to make it out that back door. None of us have absolute certainty. Let me just ask the question to the skeptics in the room. How certain are you that you have been on this planet for more than a year? What, what, if, what if aliens put us here six months ago with pre-programmed memories? Prove me wrong. <laughs> Just saying. Now don't, now don't somebody go out there saying, you'll never believe what Pastor Brett taught about today <laughs> at church, that, that we've only been here six months. And they, No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, all of the evidence that we just looked at, it makes less sense to say the resurrection didn't happen. And the ramifications are eternal. Your eternal destiny is, is hanging on this. Don't harden your heart anymore. Accept in faith the free gift that's given to you. Maybe you're here today and you're not skeptical, but You've grown up in an environment. You've spent your whole life trying, trying to prove your worth to God, trying to earn favor with God, trying to, you know that you're a sinner. You know that you've, your, your life doesn't please him in all regards. So what you're trying to do is do more good than you do bad in order to somehow earn favor with him. Please hear me, you can't. There's nothing that we can do. No matter how far we jump, we will always be woefully short of the other side in ourselves. That's why we have to place our faith in Christ. He completed the jump. He is the righteous one. You can't, you can't earn favor with God, but you can receive his grace. You can receive his free gift. I know so many people, they're, they're trying to somehow prove their value to God. Please understand, your value is not based on what you bring to God. Your value is based on what he paid for you. And that is his own son he gave in exchange for you. That's how valuable you are to him. You can't add to that. You just need to receive the gift that he's offering you today. Would you please stand with me? We're going we're gonna to pray and sing a song, final song of, of worship this morning. If that is you and the, the Holy Spirit is working on your heart, regardless of whatever reason, you've never taken that step of, of surrendering your life, confessing with your mouth, as Paul said there, confessing with your mouth Jesus is Lord. It goes hand in hand with, with believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Confessing with your mouth, that word confess is an easy, simple, interesting one. It simply means to say the same thing as. You agree with God that you are a sinner. You agree with God that you deserve nothing but his wrath. But you accept in faith the fact that Jesus paid your penalty. And repentance simply means to turn, to change direction, to stop trusting in something else, whether it be your own actions, whether it be some other type of religious ceremonial thing, 
Stop turning from your trust in that and turning and placing your trust completely in Jesus. And I invite you to do that right now. Would you pray with me if that is you? You just go before God in your heart. Say, God, I am a sinner. I know that my life is not pleasing to you. And right now, I grab a hold of this faith that you've extended to me. And I believe that Jesus, you died for me. I believe that you paid my full sin debt on the cross. And I believe that you rose again. I believe that you are alive today. And I invite you to come into my life. Wash away my sin. Clothe me in your righteousness. Lord Jesus, we, again, we're here today in awe of you, amazed and blown away by the truth of what this day means. And Lord, we thank you for the faith that you've given to us that we have embraced. But Lord, we also thank you that it's not a, it's not a blind faith. We're following a risen king. We thank you for your Holy Spirit in us. And Lord, our prayer is that as we leave here today, that you would use us as you used these witnesses that Paul spoke of here in, in 1 Corinthians that we studied of today. You used these witnesses simply with the Holy Spirit in them and their testimony that, of what you'd done in their lives and the fact that they had seen you and you changed the world with them. Lord, use us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We praise you in your name. Amen. I'd like to ask that if you need prayer for any reason, or if you prayed right now to make Jesus Lord of your life, or you want to talk about it some more, you're still wrestling with that, please don't leave here without coming and talking to us. We're going to have our pastors and elders, our prayer team, up front, up here in front of the screens. And as we sing this last song, would you please make your way forward? We'd love the opportunity to pray with you. And again, if today is the day of your salvation, make Jesus Lord of your life and come forward. We want to talk with you and pray with you about that.